There is a not so familiar character in the New Testament. Some of you may never have heard of him. His name is Demas and he represents one of the most familiar tragedies in life. A grand beginning and a terrible ending. The first time we see him, he's mentioned in the little epistle to Philemon. And the Apostle Paul says, Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. And so he's presented there, standing alongside of Paul in his Roman imprisonment and with Luke, mentioned first really. And he's pictured as a devoted and promising disciple. The second time we read of him is in the book of Colossians. There Paul writes, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas. He just mentions his name, and no longer first in the order. And the last time we see him is in 2 Timothy, compiling the last message Paul wrote. And he says rather sadly, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. There are three points on the graph so that we can chart the curve and it's downward. What a tremendous tragedy. Such a great beginning, such a terrible ending. Demas, my fellow worker, Demas, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. And because they were intimate companions in the Roman circle with the Apostle Paul, Luke and Demas knew each other very well. It's interesting that of all the Gospels, Luke's is the only record that contains this parable about a man who sat down, who, who built, ready to build a tower, sat down and didn't count the cost. One wonders if the reason why it's only here in Luke is because Luke remembers Demas. I can imagine that he saw the vision begin to fade in Demas' life. I imagine Luke began to see that Demas was slipping and he must have, he must have challenged his friend and, and he may have sat down with him one night under some Galilean sky and said, Demas, on this earth when Jesus was here, he told us a parable about a man who started out to build a tower and never was able to finish it. Oh, Demas, don't you see that you are just like that? And it just may be that Luke only records this parable because he saw the truth of it so vividly displayed he could not forget it. Only Luke contains this parable. It is obvious that the qualities that make for a grand beginning are not identical with the qualities that make for a good ending. In no realm are starting power and staying power the same. Demas had great starting power, but he didn't have the power to see it through. And so he ran off down to Thessalonica. And tradition has it that he became a priest in a pagan temple. Now you recognize him, don't you? He looks just like some of us. I want you to know that I've seen him hundreds of times in my ministry. For there is nothing more baffling to the Christian enterprise and the cause of Christ than these multitude of disinterested, 
non-attending, non-supporting, non-worshipping church members who started out so well, who had such promise, but who just began to drift away, who have just quit. I tell you, the attrition rate among the people of God is horrendous. Have you ever started out to do something you couldn't finish? There was a house on the road to the little church that I pastored south of Fort Worth when I was a seminary student. A man started out to build a house. He, he got the walls and the roof up and the windows in. He got the sheetrock inside and moved in. The outside of the house was just covered with black tar paper. Had the bricks stacked up there. For three years I pastored there. It was the same when I came. It was the same when I left. He had an old car jacked up in the driveway. He'd been working on it for a year, meant to, meant to overhaul the motor. It was the same when I left. And his Christianity was just like that. He started out in a blaze of glory in the church. He was so dynamically involved in God's work, but he just quit. I'm going to tell you that five years from now, if I'm still pastor of this church, when I stand in this pulpit to preach, there will have been some of you who have just quit. What happens to a person? What, happens, what gets into a man when he just starts out to do so well and can't finish? What happens? What gets in a man when that happens? I think for Demas, in, with relationship to Demas, it was, it was because he had too superficial a beginning. He was looking for new interest and Christianity came along and so he just joined up. He got himself into something without really realizing its true nature, its responsibilities and requirements. I don't think he ever really counted the cost of discipleship. It wasn't that he was afraid or that he was a fake. He was certainly serious and sincere. He was just superficial. I don't think he really understood what it meant to follow the apostle and be involved in the cause of Christ. And he didn't take the time to find out. Have you? A man came to Jesus one day and he said, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And instead of Jesus saying, come on man, let's go, charge. Jesus looked at him and said, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Seems kind of a negative response, doesn't it? But I want you to know that Jesus wasn't trying to pour cold water on a noble impulse. He just wanted to be sure that that man's offer of allegiance was made in light of all the facts. Has yours? Do you know what it means to be a follower of Christ? Do you know what it costs to be a disciple? Are you really willing to pay that price? For you see, the two words that are before us this morning are the words willing and able. And sometimes the things that we're not willing to do, we pass off as not being able to do. For example, I might ask some of you to come over to visit me tomorrow night and, and on visit with us. Come over to my house. And you say, well, let me check my calendar and I'll see if I can. And you're thinking, what kind of an excuse can I use? And so when you get away, you think, oh, no. I got a lot of better things to do than go over to preacher's house. I bet we spend hours praying. 
He may even want to preach to me. He may take an offering. Man, I got things more important to do than that. And so finally, when you get your nerve up, you call me on the, on the phone. You say, Preacher, we'd just love to come over to your house tomorrow night, but we're not able to come. Some things have come up, and we're not able to, to do it. Oh, that's not true. You're able to do it, but you're not willing to do it. You see, the real issue in discipleship, hear me, is not your ability, but your will. You, you say, I'm not able to teach that class. I'm not able to make that kind of commitment. I'm not able to give. Don't say that. That's not really true. It's not the issue. The issue is your will. See, Douglas Brown said, you know, God is very patient. It's taken him years to teach me two words. Lord, anything. And maybe because, maybe it was because Demas never really learned to trust God. That's why he drifted away. Have you? I had fainted if I had not believed is a sentence in the Bible that's true to life. For I'm convinced that sometime or another God requires of us that we take all the blue chips, no, none left up the sleeve, none in the pockets for a rainy day. He wants us to take all the blue chips sometime in our life and push them out in the center of the table and say, I'm going for broke. Did you see this text? He said, father and mother, sister and brother, children, relationships. He's talking about ambitions and desires and dreams. He's talking about in verse 37, one's possessions, his finances. God wants us sometime to learn to totally trust him with everything we have. To go for broke. Somebody said that when Cortez landed at Veracruz and began his march into Mexico, before they left the harbor, he sent demolition crews out into the harbor to sink the boats, to destroy them. And his men stood on the, bar, on the, on the harbor and they watched them sink the boats. It's a long swim to Spain. For Cortez wanted his men to know that they were in Mexico for keeps. There was no turning back. Did not Jesus say one time, whoever puts his hand to the plow and turns back is not fit for the kingdom? I think that's what happened to Demas. I think he lost his faith. For who would ever expect with Nero on the throne and Paul in prison that the gospel for which Paul stood would outlast the empire? Never. That would never happen. Nobody would expect that except the man or the woman whose faith is rooted and grounded in God and he expects just that to happen if it takes a thousand years to do it. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, I want you to learn how to trust me with your children. He's saying, I want you to learn how to trust me with your family. I want you to learn how to trust me with your life's ambition for vocation, my will for you. 
I want you to learn how to trust me with your finances. I want you to stand or fall, sink or swim on me. And I'm here to tell you that it's going to be a great day in your life and in mine. It's going to be a great day in the life of this church when we stop trusting in ourselves and living in the fear of that. Shove the blue chips to the center of the table and say, I'm going for broke. There may be a time when God will ask you to take your Isaac and take a long walk up your Mount Moriah and with that Isaac in your hand, lay him on the altar to God. And folks, you can't use a rubber knife. I watched one day, as you watched, those men step down on the moon. I was looking at that thing on television and I saw these men when they stepped out of that spaceship in that lunar environment and they had their spacesuit on and they had this generator they were carrying that provided oxygen and, and air conditioning inside the uniform. And I thought to myself, these men were living in a lunar sphere and they were living from an earthly source. That's exactly what it means to faith God. It means to live in an earthly environment, in an earthly sphere, from a heavenly supply. Have you learned to trust God? Maybe the reason why Demas forsook him and fled was because of his affection for the world. Listen to me. Some of you have heard this a second time. You're, in a, you're glutton for punishment. You're in the second service. Hang in there, even though you can predict the next statement. Paul said, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. For some people that means a good time. For others it means money. For some it means popularity. For some it means school grades. For some it means to be involved in a vocation of your choosing, having loved this present world. You know, I used to have some trouble with this verse of Scripture when it said that you must forsake father and mother, sister and brother, children. I, hate them. That's what it said, hate them. I had some problems with that. You know, I begin to realize, however, that what Jesus is asking of us is not something malicious or hurtful or hatred hateful that would go against everything he taught and stood for what Jesus is saying is this you must be willing to sacrifice personal relationships for me he's talking about a real competition in loyalty he's talking about a matter of priorities he's talking about loving God above all I used to travel in the northwest and when I'd get home, Margaret say, did you miss me? And I'd say, of course I missed you, Margaret. You're number one in my life. You're first. But I want you to know there's a little redhead over in Portland that's second. And there's a little divorcee over in Seattle that's third. And there's a blonde down in Spokane. It's true that blondes have more fun and she's fourth. No, I didn't say that. If you just turned into the radio, now look, now don't go quoting me on that. You know what I said? I'd say, Margaret, I missed you because you're the only person 
in my life. That's the way the Father wants us to love Him. And when Jesus said, unless you take up your own cross and follow me, you're not worthy of my disciple, to be my disciple. You know what he meant by that? When they heard the word cross in that day, they instantly thought of death. He meant dying to selfish ambitions. He meant saying no to self, no to my own ambitions and desires, and yes to God. Can I ask you three questions? Have you ever come with your goals and ambitions and desires honestly and objectively to God and ask for His approval? Have you, young people? Second question, do your goals and desires for your life, do they just feed your ego or do they honor God? Third question, big question, if God were to ask you to give up your goals and your ambitions, are you willing to do it? Corey Tinboon said, I hold everything very loosely in my hands. I hold everything very loosely. If I get a tight grip on them, God has to pry my fingers away, and that hurts. Lord, anything. Could it be that Demas fell away finally because of his neglect? That's what happens, you know. A.W. Tozer said it like this. I want to read every word of it. Listen, he says, Every farmer knows the hunger of the wilderness, that hunger which no modern farm machinery, no modern agricultural methods can ever quite destroy. No matter how well prepared the soil, how well kept the fences, how carefully painted the buildings, let the owner neglect for a while his prized and valued acreage and they will revert again to the wild. Swallowed up by the jungle or the wasteland, the bias of nature is toward the wilderness, never toward the fruitful field. That, we repeat, every farmer knows. Now the neglected heart will soon be a heart overrun by worldly thoughts. The neglected life will soon be a life of moral chaos. The creeping wilderness will take over the life that neglects to watch and pray. Has that happened to you? Adoniram Judson's son said, or was it Hudson Taylor's son who said, for 40 years the sun never came up in China that it did not find my father on his knees. I guess the question this morning is not how much do you love the world, it's how much do you love God. Sidlow Baxter said we learn to love him first gratefully when we discover what he has done for us. Oh, the love that sought me. Oh, the blood that brought me, that bought me. Oh, the grace that brought me to the fold. He said it isn't long if we love God like that that we begin to love Him adoringly. It's a love for Him not because of what He's done but because of what He is. I'm resting. Jesus, I am resting in the joy of what Thou art and I am finding out the greatness of Thy loving heart. We begin to love God for what He is.
And he said we begin to love God absorbingly so that he is in the center of our heart and life. Oh, I want to love God like that. And so Demas forsook him. And he went down to Thessalonica. But was he happy there? No. For once a man has experienced the presence of the Lord Jesus, and once he's walked with him, he's never happy away from him again. That great disturber, once he comes, that man with the far-off dreams and goals for us, that reality who is behind all of life's fantasies, once he comes into the life, he spoils us for everything else. And so there must have been voices crying aloud, Demas, you're a fool, foolish Demas. You'll never be satisfied and happy again. And I'd like to think that one night he was walking down the street in Thessalonica. There's a church there. And I'd like to think he heard him singing from the Psalms. And he thought of himself like the prodigal in the far country and said to himself, there's bread more than enough in my father's house. And I like to think that he went inside and he sat down. And whoever there was preaching, he felt just like some of you feel today. I'm coming home. And when the invitation was given, he got up and he went home. And maybe I'm reading it into it, but I like to think that the Apostle Paul wrote another letter that never got canonized. And I'd like to think that inside that letter was this statement, Demas has returned to me, having loved Christ more than anything in the world. And having returned to me, he'll never leave again. I don't know if that happened or not, but I know this. You can. The distance from where you are to God is not but just is not that great, it's but a step. It's not like the long road from Thessalonica to Rome where Paul was in prison. It's not like the road from the prodigal's far country to the father's house, it's just a step. It's just a prayer way. Won't you come home? Won't you come back to God? You'll never be happy until you do. Someone told his story, and I'm through. He said there was a young man in the service who had been missing in action and lost. They presumed him dead. But he really wasn't. He, he got to come home. He wanted to surprise his mother. She was at church when the service was over, and she turned to leave. There he stood in the back of the church and she screamed my son who was lost is found he who was dead has been made alive Demas is here today and the Lord wants to find him would you bow your head with me? Now, Father, there are those in our midst this morning 
who need to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Would you right now touch their heart, cause them to have faith to believe. And there are people this morning who have heard my voice and have heard your spirit speak that have gone with Demas to Thessalonica and they've turned back. Oh, they're here today, but they've not followed through on their commitment. And there are those this morning who are thinking about it, Father. Jesus has bid them come and follow me in light of the demands of the gospel, the claims of Christ. Give them the courage to say, Lord, anything, so that we can rejoice with the angels and with the Son when this invitation is over. I pray this in the name of Christ for his sake.